Welcome to Absolute Destiny, a podcast. I'm Autumn. And I'm Chesney. And this is a show where we go through all of Revolutionary Girl Utena, and we uh, review every episode. And I am a super nerd. I have been, uh, I've loved this show for almost two decades now. Chesney, however, this is her first time through. So she is experiencing it live along with you episode by episode so we just wrapped up watching uh episode six beware nanami sama uh so chesney what what's your take on this one i feel like every (laughs) every episode is wow what an episode (laughs) (laughs) right i mean my my takeaway i'm not i'm not being when i say like i've been a fan for decades like this is that good (laughs) well and i mean i've said this before but they really do like they don't waste a single second of screen time in my opinion like they jam-pack these episodes with everything um so it's (laughs) super efficient it goes by really fast and just every time i'm left with wow what an episode. But this one in particular was just like the whimsy in this one was off the charts. <laughs> yeah. So this is the first of what we collectively know as the Nanami episodes. Um, this is These are episodes that focus on the secondary character Nanami and put her in, if not the point of view character role, at the very least, um, like the protagonist role of the episode. So, like, we still follow Utena as she follows Nanami, at least in this episode. That gets played with a little more later. Um, But we also do have a bunch of scenes that are just following Nanami. So, the Nanami episodes collectively are ones in which the entire focus is on her. So, I'm excited to see what the other ones are going to be like. And I'm going to do a little bit of a poll here. Um, <laughs> I don't know how many other people are familiar with the anime Shugo Chara, but <laughs> <laughs> I'm willing to bet not a lot. But Nanami reminds me a lot of a character in Shugo Chara. And I'm sure it's it was like a, if it's not still a common, you know, anime um, theme or trope, um, it was in the early to mid 2000s and uh, maybe a little bit of the early 2010s too. But um, it just reminds me of this character uh, in Shugotara called Yamabuki Saya, okay. where uh, she comes in on to the episode and she comes in with the energy of I'm the main character, but the show is not about her. <laughs> <laughs> It just like sometimes we'll focus on her as like a joke or a foil to the protagonist. Sure. Um, but that's like Nanami, this episode gave me the strongest Yamabuki Saya like vibes I have ever gotten from another show or character ever. <laughs> <laughs> Especially, she even has like the little posse. Right. So it's got to be a common trope. Yeah. So. Uh, this show predated Chugachara by about seven years. Oh, yeah. Um, but this dynamic between Nanami and Utena, I, I, I describe these episodes as being um, like a microcosm of Utena, like the series. Like, Nanami is going through something that parallels what Utena is going through, but like from a younger perspective. Hmm. Um, Like if you imagine the target audience of the show, they are probably Mm -hmm. much closer to Nanami's age than Utena's age and definitely closer to both of them than our age. Um, Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) for sure. (laughs) But uh, I mean, like I was in the target audience in the 90s when the show aired. So I I still feel like I get to claim this show. (laughs) (laughs) I know that's how I feel about Shugo Chara too, but (laughs) yeah. Um, 
But at the same time, like, there's going to be some parallels. And one of them is going to come at the end. And I'm going to talk about it when we get to the end of, like, the journey that Nanami is taking in coming into her own identity, um, especially separate from Toga. Um, so, like, this is definitely the beginning of Nanami's story, not the end of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just, like, the way that intersects with Utena's story and the, the way that this is this parallels um, Utena and a character we haven't met yet. Okay. So, um, it's a bit too early to give, like, my whole thesis on this. <laughs> because we don't actually know the character that i'm going to be talking about um okay but yeah like i look at these episodes and i see definite parallels to utana's story just like how utana would react if she was like three years younger and maybe a little more spoiled Uh, (laughs) yeah that too (laughs) it's like what would a not noble utana look like in this situation and that's nanami (laughs) yeah well, and she does have, like, I mean, at least in my opinion, a very small amount of character growth at the end of the episode. That So I'm I'm excited to see where it goes with her. Yeah, I mean, she's already come a long way from pranking uh, oh, yeah. what was deuteragonist it? at the ball, but, you know. <laughs> uh-huh, yeah. I forget that that's her. <laughs> oh, yeah, like, no. Like, our introduction to her was... Her trying to shame and embarrass Anthe. Yeah. But she's already, like, evolved so much more from that. I don't even know if evolved is the right word. But, like, the show painted her as, like, an antagonist then or, like, a cat, excuse me, a catty, like, schoolgirl. And now it just, I don't know. She has more of, like, a silly vibe to me. Yeah, like... If it hasn't been clear, this show gets super serious at times. Mm-hmm. And the Nanami episodes are always ways of tackling heavier subjects with a lot more humor. Okay. That makes sense. So this episode opens. It is actually before we do that, um, I do want to to plug that we are on Twitter. Uh, we are at Zetai Unme Podcast. And both of us are individually on Twitter. I'm at Life in Neon. Yeah, and I'm at CarCutie, which is K-A-R-Q-U-E-U-E-T-I-E. I think I and, spelled that right. It's a long one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're also both on Twitch. Those are our Twitch handles also. Um, yep. So you can find us there. Um, uh, we'll be saying it again at the end of the episode, but I just want to get that out at the beginning this time instead of like tacking it on when we've just as we're about to forget to say it. Um, <laughs> so uh, this episode opens. It is a dark night outside the dorms or like outside the classrooms. Uh, like, it's hard to tell exactly where this starts out. Where is Nanami? Because it's like she's in a neighborhood and then all of a sudden she's on the freeway. <laughs> like, so how, how late do these classes let out? And like, what is the direction home? Who gets dorms and who doesn't? <laughs> because like, what is this what is going on to where so, this kind of scenario happens yeah like there's two parts of that one is all of the weird bullshit with this world where it's never quite clear what's on campus and what isn't mm-hmm. i think it's safe to say that everything happening in this scene is off campus um part of it also is a class issue yeah. N- Nanami and Toga clearly definitely live off campus in a mansion that is made much clearer, I think, next episode or the episode after. Okay. Um, like we've seen their bedrooms, I think, by this point. Oh no, we saw it in a flashback that was a fantasy, but like later on it'll be revealed that that actually is Toga's bedroom. Uh- oh well. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, are we gonna get to see the Casanova bed? I think so. <laughs> I like how I can't remember Mickey's name, but I can remember the Casanova bed scene. Yeah. Like, <laughs> no issue whatsoever. <laughs> so, like, <laughs> the the thing with them is they are both super rich. They are from a wealthy-ass family. Um, we're going to see, like, some more class indicators. Like, Toga has a cell phone in the 90s. 
Like that Yo. kind of level of wealth. Toga drives, um, which unlike in the US, especially in the 90s, Japanese teenagers do not drive. You know, like that is a huge status symbol for him um, in terms of his wealth, that he has access to a vehicle and can learn how to drive and has a cell phone. Tin Buck says his car is red. No comment. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, I mean, there is a red car. Not going to say whose it is. Um, Okay. All right. All right. (laughs) But like, this is one of those moments where like we see her leave the campus and go home, which messes with some continuity stuff later on. Um, like it throws a wrench into like these clean, clear divisions between like the magical and the mundane worlds. Mm-hmm. Um, like we talked about this a lot of how there is a magical real quality to the show and it catches Utena off guard when she first encounters it at Otori Academy, which says there's a normal world outside of the Academy. Right. But then we have Nanami going out into that normal world to go home and the shenanigans ensue. Uh, We end up finding out they are much more mundane, but also like, (laughs) how does, I'm just going to say it now. How the hell does Suabuki get access to all these animals? Like what is going on here? (laughs) Okay. And not only that, but Suabuki is clearly not whoever the hell was following her at the beginning like whoever was following her in the beginning was a tall man oh for sure and like has like a normal deep voice when he helps her up from the ground later on um i think that some of that falls under like nanami's fantasizing memory of the events that unfolded okay um like some of it is definitely like projection on her part that the the figure in the distance is bigger and scarier and like her rescuer is more mature than she would have expected than he turns out to be rather um yeah but yeah so like she almost gets run down by a car (laughs) and the driver stops to ask if she's okay then calls her a weird kid (laughs) yeah are you okay weird girl (laughs) I mean, she's not wrong, but also she is, yeah, that she's is not. that is a strange thing to say to someone that you almost killed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So like as far as like the freeway stuff goes, Japan is a, like one giant chain of mountains. So there's a lot of uneven roads where mm-hmm. like one will be at one level and one will be at another. So like underpasses like this are not uncommon, especially okay. like in the bigger cities. And, like, it's not necessarily a freeway. It it can just be, like, a road. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's just like, what is this? <laughs> she walks home from school and she's on a freaking freeway? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, then we cut to a scene where, like, she's explaining what happened. And she drops this bombshell. It's not the first time she's been targeted. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, like someone tried to drop a pot on her head. Mm-hmm. Push her down a, sta- a flight of stairs. Yeah. Um, someone dropped logs on stairs to knock her down. <laughs> so um, she climbs over the table all seductively, begging Toga to protect her. Who, and you know, he's like, it, nah. Dear listener, <laughs> that is her brother, just as a reminder. <laughs> Yeah, and, and his response is like, nah, I got I got better stuff to do than watch out for you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, her whole thing was like, somebody's envious of me. I'm scared. <laughs> <laughs> and he basically responds with, stop reading Nancy Drew. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you read too many detective novels. Yeah. So here we have this moment where her hero brother of hers definitely just straight up abandons her to her fate but the music 
does not reflect her mood in this. It is a contrapoint to her mood where uh, this music is light and airy and ethereal and happy and she is shattered. <laughs> yeah. Which is one of those like storytelling things that tells us as the audience how to feel about this. Like this is being played for comedy. Mm-hmm. At the same time, she is going to react in earnest for the rest of this episode. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. And he kind of, his actions, not just his words, but his actions. Like I keep thinking about the, the framing of the shot where she's like, Oh oh my God, I was so scared. And somebody's envious of me. And she's like, like you said, crawling across the table. And there's a shot of the, like her holding his hand and he pulls his hand away. And he's just like, he is withdrawing from her. Like it just reinforces that he's not interested in her the way that she is in him, at least not anymore. And again, we know from previous episodes, he's interested in Utana. He's not interested in anyone else. Right. And like, Mickey drops this line. Well, sibling relationships are complicated. <laughs> are they? <laughs> to, to which Nanami like, not in so many words, replies, like, you really gonna go there? You? (laughs) (laughs) She's right. (laughs) And he's like, okay, okay, fair hit, fair hit. (laughs) Because, like, we just spent two two episodes exploring his complex with uh, Kozue and, like, all the weird stuff going on there. Um, we're not even at the end twin? of that arc yet. <laughs> and that's his twin, right? Yes. Okay. His twin sister. Yes. So like, that's another thing. We have now two examples of sibling love and affection, both nudging on unhealthy in, in different ways. Mm-hmm. Like Kozue is trying to make her brother jealous using her sexuality in a way that grinds his gears, essentially. Yeah. Which implies, like, Nikki holds some sense of ownership over her. Not unlike everyone seems to have with Anthe, but, like, definitely scaled back significantly of, like, I miss what we had, and now you're Mm -hmm. rubbing rubbing in my face that you are you know, independent and sexual. And this is making me intensely uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah. And close, just close with other people besides him, I think is the point. Yeah. Yeah. And then we have Nanami and Togo, which is a big brother, little sister thing where she is fully enamored with him as like the ideal masculine figure mm-hmm. in her life. I don't know if we know anything about her parents yet. I can't remember. But like in her world, he is number one. And uh, like at one point, uh, I think it's a later scene, but like Mickey is talking about how to Nanami, everyone else in the world is dregs, (laughs) leftovers, parsley. (laughs) Parsley. Everybody is parsley. And so we have this contrast in these sibling relationships. And there's going to be one more really critical sibling relationship that is central to the show that we're not there yet. But like mm-hmm. all of these different ways of showing like unhealthy attachment. Mm-hmm. Then we have this moment where Nanami gets dogged out by her own crew. <laughs> It was so great. <laughs> like they they're asking uh like who would have motive to go after her and the response is no one would because it's Nanami's policy to not get her hands dirty. Thank you Keiko. Thank you for throwing your friend under the bus, backing up and driving over her a second time. <laughs> <laughs> she just backed that bus right over Nanami's face. <laughs> Oh, man. But, I mean, 
Nanami did set it up. Because, yeah. again, we saw in a previous episode, like you pointed out, she does things like this all the time where she's vindictive <laughs> where she's uh vindictive towards people uh, but they can't necessarily pin it on her and at the same time this isn't a court of law yeah. everyone knows she did it right <laughs> that's true <laughs> so it doesn't mean that people don't hate her yeah that's true. Man, I kind of wish, and this is, you know, we're getting farther in the episode, but I do kind of wish that it had been like, like somebody that actually going after her, because I feel like that would have been really interesting to see, but I don't know. Maybe we'll see that in a future uh, episode, a future Nanami episode, but maybe not. <laughs> so then we have this beautiful non sequitur moment where Nanami just takes a baseball straight to the teeth. <laughs> straight to the face um it lays her out flat and here comes utana running up apologizing and immediately she jumps to assuming that utana is the one who's been trying to kill her yeah and, and utana's like dude i i have no beef with you yeah. you are so far beneath my notice <laughs> yeah she goes i have no motive to kill you just flat out <laughs> And Nanami brings up that Toga's her, uh, like, she's her rival about Toga. And it's like, is she, though? <laughs> like, we, we really haven't gotten a, a real solid moment of Utana wanting Toga back. Right. <laughs> like, this is very one-sided at this point. Right. They've had exactly one conversation together. That's it. <laughs> so then we cut to this moment with the greenhouse where it is all innuendo <laughs> and they're talking like Toga and Anthe are conspiratorially talking about killing things, killing vermin. Mm -hmm. And there's a sign on the greenhouse that says, uh, keep out and Mickey, Utana and Nanami all start spying on this conversation. And they only overhear all the talk of killing, not what they're or who they are trying to kill. But Nanami jumps straight to it's her. <laughs> <laughs> because, of course, what else could anybody be talking about other than her? She's the only important thing out there. We get this like classic movie moment, this black and white shot uh, where like the only thing in color is this red rose that the two of them are holding. And the rose is in a pot. And they're conspiring to kill Nanami. So they cut the rose stem and the pot drops. And that's how Nanami imagines the, um, the scene earlier had taken place where the pot was being dropped on her head. Now we finally get to see it, but we only see it in her imagination. Yeah. The fact, though, that she thought that they were talking about her... And then it turns out they were just talking about what I think is roaches. Couldn't tell what kind of bug was on the can, but it was some kind of insect pest. Uh, yeah. No, I think there's like a, I think there's a small metaphorical link there. <laughs> <laughs> just a small one. I'm going to throw it out there that later on, there is an episode focused on Nanami and the title of it is Meddlesome Insects. <laughs> oh my god. So, yeah, like, it's not like a strong through line, but like, it's a repeated metaphor. <laughs> it's like somebody writing either the manga or the show really wanted to drive that one home for whatever reason. Oh, Nanami isn't in the manga. That's like, right. I, I, feel like I, I think I mentioned that before, but like, she's... She is a character that is original to this show, and this is my armchair theorizing. I think it I think it's been talked about in interviews, but like because the target audience skews younger, um, she was put in to be closer to like an audience insert. Oh in a sense. Um even though like 
or like an audience surrogate, even though like Utena also fills that role mm -hmm. because she is brand new to this world and Inami isn't. Mm -hmm. But like, if, like if you think about um, the X-Men animated series, which was airing a, a few years earlier than this show, um, they did the same thing with the character Jubilee. Oh, okay, okay. Like Jubilee was like seven years younger than everyone else on the show. Because like the X-Men were like portrayed as being in their late teens, early 20s. Um, Jubilee is definitely like a 14 year old or a 15 year old, something like that. Got it. Um, so like she was much closer in age to the audience that like the intended audience for the show. And I think the same thing is going on with Nanami that like she's meant to be a little bit more relatable um, in that way. Like I don't necessarily see it because <laughs> like, I was older than that when I first saw the show, mm -hmm. but um, just because like this stuff didn't come to America at the exact same time. Um, but like, that's where I see that character fitting into the ensemble where like she wasn't in the manga. All the stuff with Nanami is original to the show. Got it. So yeah, then somebody writing the show wanted to drive the correlation home of Nanami equals bug, Nanami equals pest. <laughs> I think more specifically, Nanami equals pest. <laughs> and like, that kind of makes sense, right? Like, if you remember being in like, freshman year of high school, that kind of thing, Thinking back on like a sixth grader hanging out with a freshman in high school, that age gap feels a lot more relevant than like a senior hanging out with a freshman, even though it's the same four years. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I I remember I'm going to put my sister on blast here for a second. Sorry, Madeline. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, <Do> remember, <laughs> I remember when drag I her ass. All right. <laughs> sorry. No. I don't know her. I don't know your sister. I'm sorry. Chesney's sister. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love Madeline. She's great. I love her so much. But when and we've always been close growing up. But when um, we were younger, you know, when I was a freshman in high school, um, we have a six and a half year age gap. And Madeline was still of the age where she wanted to still play with Barbies. And we had just moved to a new place. She didn't have any friends yet. I technically didn't either. Um, but I was that freshman <laughs> level uh in high school and I had a younger sister that was like pestering me to play Barbies <laughs> so like <laughs> I understand uh I understand the point that the showrunners here are trying to drive home of uh younger si sister equals pest <laughs> because <Yeah. laughs> like like you said you know a lot of folks that have a younger sibling have been there um, again, sorry, Madeline, I love you. I played Barbies with her anyway. <laughs> Even if it was uncool for a freshman in high school, I still played Barbies with her. I think I only put my foot down sophomore year. <laughs> so then we have this moment where Nanami is just walking down a hallway in the school and a horse shows up. Yeah. And some freaking chickens. Chickens. Yeah. Like a whole farm shows up inside the school. Like a second floor high school hallway. <laughs> I, I really don't know. Like, how did this even happen? <laughs> like, how do you sneak this horse in? Like, what is your Skyrim stealth level? <laughs> Listener, I'm going to go in on this one. Um, how do you get the horse to the second floor with no one noticing, then set it loose so that it runs down your target? But then you run fast enough <laughs> to get that person out of the way before the horse kills them. That's where I'm at. <laughs> <laughs> where I'm at is how is it that your fellow classmates scream, there's a runaway horse instead of what the fuck is a horse doing here? <laughs> <laughs> like why is the go-to there's a runaway horse i mean i know most of them are rich kids so they're you know they probably take equestrian classes and whatnot but like <laughs> again second floor of a building how this did it get the, here <laughs> this is the second time we have made that joke about just like having an equestrian riding class yes <laughs> um i i think at some point we just have to 
assume that it's canon that that a Tory Academy has a writing class. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Um, so somebody rescues Nanami, and this person again has like the this like deep manly voice, and we only ever see their face blacked out like in memory because like she's recalling what had happened to her with the horse afterward mm-hmm. as she's like trying to process this event that took place. Um, he wrapped up her hand in a handkerchief that has uh-huh. the name Tsuabuki on it. And by the way, after this happens to her, like she, girl should have, girlfriend should have went to the nurse's office. Like she is concussed. Clearly she is so yeah. out of it. She's dazed just walking around and her, semi friends i guess or at the very least like the counselor's office like she, this yeah. is a traumatic thing and like it's part of a pattern now of her being attacked yeah seriously but like her friends instead of like taking care of her or really checking on her are instead gossiping about how there's like a prince that saved her which i'll get to that in a second but so they're gossiping and they're spying on her and at first it's just utena and mickey spying on her which are you know are they her friends Mm, you know i don't know acquaintances at best maybe but uh then her actual squad shows up (laughs) and is also spying on her yeah (laughs) so i'm like y'all what is going on um and then the point that you made about his face you know the person that saved her having a deep voice his face is blacked out and then on top of that you know, the school gossip being that a prince saved Nanami and they keep reiterating that just very much, um, (laughs) again, want to call him Dio, but it's Dios vibes. Yeah. And put a pin in that because I wanted to come back to that at the end of the episode too. Okay. Uh, Because, yeah, like, this is part of where I'm drawing that parallel of stuff that happens to Nanami reflects stuff that happens to Utena. Mm-hmm. And so like this mysterious savior, this mysterious prince, um she like has her own prince and um like they're trying to figure out who it is and listener, we have more adults. <laughs> yeah, we saw two. Two actual in the flesh adults. The volleyball coach and I guess like a science teacher or a nurse. It wasn't really clear. Yeah. Someone in a lab coat with glasses. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and like their theory is like, maybe she likes them plain. <laughs> <laughs> maybe like, she likes them older. Maybe she likes them plain. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but then we find out like she climbs a hill and finds Suabuki. And sure enough, kids in elementary school um yeah utana mickey and the trio are like "Eh? what (laughs) that's the prince (laughs) so then we smash cut to the shadow girls with the theme of this episode what would you say the theme of this episode would be according to the shadow girls uh okay so the shadow girls talked about oh, we get to go camping and the best part is making this curry dish and then they eat it and they're like, oh, the rice wasn't cooked all the way and oh, this, I don't know, this isn't the experience that I thought it would be. And, yeah, like the uh, roux is too dry. Like we didn't. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like, yeah, they're complaining about all these different aspects of the dish that just didn't turn out. Um, and I forget, they say something at the end and I can't remember exactly what it was. Honestly, I... <laughs> The bit at the very end of the Shadow Girls threw me off so bad. Like, it, <laughs> it, this to me was um, arguably the most disturbing Shadow Girls sequence that we've had just because, like, it was like the Shadow Girls themselves were doing puppets of themselves. And not just like, it was like they were doing it. And then the very end shot is them also on strings. So I'm like, okay, somebody is like having a mental like psychosis episode doing these puppets (laughs) in this school uh, to talk about like the theme of what the current, I don't even know, like undercurrent of the the school's like 
the school's like a uh, mental state is. <laughs> Uh, so it really threw me off, but all I remember it from their chat was, uh, that they were talking about going camping. Oh, ba- going camping. The best part of going camping is, uh, this meal that we make. And then it just doesn't turn out how they expected or wanted it to. Yeah. So what I took away from it is like, especially like for me, the undercooked rice part. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, Dating Tsuabuki right now is eating undercooked rice. Like, yep, makes sense. And the way that her relationship to Tsuabuki parallels in the opposite direction her relationship to her brother. Um, where like the age thing is a key thing. Like Toga is definitely clearly more mature than Anami is. Mm-hmm. Um, he is interested in a more mature like real relationship Mm -hmm. whether he's going about it in anything approximating the right way is questionable (laughs) yeah spying with the opera glass is not the way to win girls dude no um sure isn't (laughs) but his interests are healthy and external to his family (laughs) um she is still she's still focused on him and like so now she's going for somebody where like it's the same power dynamic, but this time she's the one in charge. Yeah. Um, and so then like, like the puppets thing at the end, I think is also very telling where we have the, like somebody is pulling the strings on this scenario. This is a manufactured set of events. And for the listener who has seen this show before, I feel like the parallel to Utena's story should be obvious. Um, But I will just stick to talking about Nami for the moment, where we are about to find out who has actually been pulling the strings on all these unfortunate events that have been happening to Nanami. Yeah, and it turns out, (laughs) do I go ahead and say it? Yeah, I mean, we're about to find out. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it turns out it is Suwabuki, aka the little kid that she's asked out, aka this little kid who's idolized her and her brother since he was like even younger. Yeah. Like, maybe four or five. <laughs> um he saw Toga save um Nanami when again when they were younger. Uh, and uh, this it was from a runaway bull. <laughs> <laughs> Hence the whole um theme of um Suwabuki setting animals on her, <laughs> yeah, to try to save her from at the last minute because uh he idolizes both of them and but really he idolizes Toga as the role of the older brother that steps in and like. Uh, you know, just swoops her up and saves her. Right. And so to go back to like the actual moment here, um, Utana and Mickey are looking at Nanami and Suabuki and saying like, you know what? These two don't look like they're dating. They look like they're brother and sister. Yep. <laughs> and then we are treated to a montage of the ways in which Nanami abuses that relationship. Uh, Like she snaps her, like there's this beautiful thing of her just like flatly saying Tsuabuki and snapping her fingers. (laughs) And uh, he shows up in her locker room with her stuff when she left it behind. Um, He gives her the answers to a test in class. (laughs) Yeah, he sneaks um, under a desk and helps her cheat. Yeah. Um, and then she uses him as a human easel in an art class. <laughs> like, this is like the most degrading of all of them. Like, she yeah. has him on his knees holding up her her canvas for her. It's really um, sad. <laughs> and the pair of them are musing about this and saying like, dude, this is fucked up. Like, <laughs> she should not be treating him that way. And Mickey's like, yeah, that's messed up. 
Um, and then just out of nowhere, Sionji just dips into frame. <laughs> yeah. Completely uninvited and delivers like, okay. So listener, we had to pause and write this down. We both wrote this down because like it both tripped us up. Yeah. Uh, Sionji dips into frame uninvited to this conversation and says, no matter how you may be abused, you're always happy to be near the one you love. That is one form of love. Love can take many forms. For example, the love Anthe and I share is a hidden love. And then like a nine months pregnant pause ensues. <laughs> and when no one responds to him, he goes, a hidden love. Yeah. Nobody asked you. <laughs> Yeah, our absolute queen, Utena, just goes, no one asked. <laughs> and this is where he, he flashes that exchange diary again. Yeah, okay. So I saw that and I was and I couldn't remember exactly what that was, but it had the um the red rose on it, which I believe is uh symbolic for Anthe. Um, but I was like, what is that thing? And also, yeah. what is in that thing? <laughs> Sorry, one other point to point out here before we move on is, by the way, Utena and Mickey have been hanging out this whole episode. Anthe hasn't really been around because she's been dealing with the vermin issue in the greenhouse. But um, it's just for me worth noting that after the... <sighs> altercation that Utena and Mickey got into in the last episode they've apparently completely made up episodes like it was a two episode arc where they were fighting yeah yeah well yeah but they've they've made up yeah and then here comes Sionji who I mean <laughs> Utena just shuts down with a no one ass so like clearly she doesn't like him but it's <laughs> but it's not really a there's no like real heat behind her interaction or their interaction together. He just like rolls up like nothing's really happened between them either. Yeah. Like it also shows that the student council isn't a monolith either. Mm -mm. Every single one of them has their own independent feelings towards Utena. And Anthe, but yeah. Yeah. And so like this is a moment where he's trying to tip his hand and be like, I still have an in with Anthe and they just do not care. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, man, it's, this episode is not about that. <laughs> Take it to the next one. <laughs> yeah. And so I, I do want to like focus a second on this fucked up speech that he gives though, because oh, like yeah. this right here shows it's just tipping his hand on his entire philosophy toward Anthe. He sees in Nanami and Suabuki the relationship that he has with Anthe and says, you know what? This is all completely on the level. If you have someone who's going to take it from you, you are perfectly within your rights to give it out. And that is so messed up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I have absolutely nothing to add to that other than like I just can't believe that I mean I can because it's Sionji but like I can't believe that somebody would look at that like very clear imbalanced power dynamic between Nanami and Suwabuki and go yeah that's fine that's fine <laughs> yeah he can be your human easel like there's no problem with that what yeah so then we have the introduction of the other trio. So we have Nanami's trio, uh, the three girls, uh, Keiko, Yuko, and Aiko, I think. I'm blanking on their names. I think that was their names. I think so. Um, but then we have the three boys, uh, Suzuki, uh, Yamada, and Tanaki. And... They have been writing love letters to Nanami, and so she six Suabuki on them, and he goes three to one with them, and we cut to a shot of one of the dudes floating, like, <laughs> like literally dead in the water. 
And while Tsubuki is fighting these guys, Nanami's just off saying like, oh, you know what? It's a really nice day out here. Completely oblivious to the fight that's going on. Oh, no, not even oblivious. Just doesn't give a shit. Yeah. (laughs) And like he kicked their asses. Which, by the way, I dubbed these the glasses trifecta. Um, <laughs> he, uh, Suwabuki kicked their asses, but at the end, he was like about to faint, like because of course that's a really um, strenuous and that's putting it mildly uh, thing to put on a child to beat up um, three <laughs> yeah. high schoolers. <laughs> so I mean, props to Suwabuki for like being able to do that like physically capable yeah but yeah no like that is a messed up thing and utana calls her out on it uh so does mickey actually Mm -hmm. um but nanami's like this moment is the breaking point but nanami just turns and says i'm free to treat him however i choose which this to me is like a tragic point of she has been watching how her brother and the student council treat Anthe. Mm-hmm. And so for her, this is what love looks like. That is so sad. And then he just like completely accepts it. And he's like, oh yeah, fate brought us together. And it's like, no baby, this is abuse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And like, this is where we find out the whole backstory with the bull and all that stuff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and I wrote and, in my notes in all caps, how long have these animal attacks been happening? <laughs> <laughs> and this is where we find out Tsubuki is behind the attacks. And as he's admitting this, we have this absurdist moment where we cut to Nanami listening on like a reel to reel recorder like she's tapped their phones or something. But then we cut to her being at this recording station, literally physically in the middle of the conversation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah. Oh, wow. She bugged him. <laughs> and then it just cuts to the whole, like the camera widens out. <laughs> it's just her right in the middle of their conversation. Yeah. And. Then suddenly it's like being broadcast on the PA system for the school, which on like one level is like this wonderful metaphor for like how rumors spread. (laughs) Like you may as well just put it on blast. But like she is so indignant when she says, I called my brother a fool for you. Like this was the ultimate crime, like how low she sank in Suibuki's defense. And the fact that he was like, Suwabuki even was like, oh, it's no big deal. I'll just have to put her in danger again. Two yeah. straight to Utena and uh, Mickey. And they were like, wait, what? And then <laughs> it was like a record scratch <laughs> moment of Nanami just going, aha. <laughs> <laughs> so then we have the episodes like pseudo duel. And I want to call this one a duel proper. Even though it wasn't Utena, even though it's not taking place in the dueling arena. This occupies the space in the show set aside for the dueling, and it brings to a head the conflict of the episode and puts a nice bow on it, just like the duels always do. Man, how funny would it have been if they played Absolute Destiny (laughs) during the kangaroo (laughs) fight? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I wish they had. So yeah, a kangaroo just shows up out of nowhere, boxing gloves on, ready to go um like this goes back to like that bob clampett tex avery era of animation uh with like the joke about the boxing kangaroo but like they don't punch with their their arms they get up on their tail and kick (laughs) but it looks like boxing but like this trope of like the boxing kangaroo um this is one of those moments where it's really clear like that influence of western like 1950s and 60s western animation on anime and so yeah like i'm just gonna go through this fight because like a lot happens and i wanted to hit like some major points in it before i get lost trying to talk about it (laughs) um so suabuki takes this takes like the first hit 
Like he jumps in the way so that Nanami doesn't get hurt. Nanami rescues Suabuki and gives this speech where like, look, kid, my brother is my brother, but you're you. I'm not going to cry if you get your ass beat, but I'm not going to stand here and watch either. (laughs) Yeah, she goes, run, you idiot. I won't cry for you if you die like this. I need you to work for me. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So then while this is playing out, we have this moment of like Nanami's pseudo heroism, just like this is a pseudo duel. And as a pseudo duel, the fake power of Dio survives in the form of Toga. Mm-hmm. He descends. Before we, before we get to this part, there is just one thing I want to bring up. And that is that the two people that have dueling experience left Nanami to, on her own at the very beginning <laughs> when the kangaroo shows up. Like yeah. Mickey... Sure, Mickey hasn't dueled that much. That was clear in the last two episodes. But Utena's fought quite a bit at this point. And she even tries to come like later. She tries to come at him with some kind of like broom or something and just gets (laughs) totally knocked to the wayside. But like at the very beginning, they were just like, nah, fuck this and left. They left her to die. (laughs) Okay, wouldn't you? (laughs) (laughs) But now we can talk about Toga. Yeah. So Toga arrives like dios he he descends upon the the battlefield in in this case like jumping a fence i think it was yeah i think so and shows up and wins the duel on behalf of nanami in a sense winning his bride back (laughs) yeah yeah because after this happens nanami is immediately like suibuki let's break up and he's like sure yeah (laughs) He's like, sure, I just wanted to be your brother anyway. And I was like, oh, my heart. (laughs) But yeah, like, I just really wanted to highlight that parallel there of Toga shows up the same way, like, the power of Dio shows up for Utena. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and at the very end, before the credits roll, it's just Utena, you know, them, okay, first of all, it's Toga with Nanami on one side and Suwabuki on the other side, like they're a little family walking into the sunset. And then <laughs> Utana going, Toga, you're quite a guy. And here's the thing, show. Here's the thing, revolutionary girl, Utana. I see what you're doing here. I see what you're doing here. And I know in my heart of hearts, even if I would like Toga to be a hero, he is not. That motherfucker is too shady. I do not trust him. <laughs> I do not trust him and you cannot convince me with this one episode or whatever that he is a hero. You have to prove it. I don't think he is just from the way that he treats women so far. So, okay, I've said my piece. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, this is where we get the first like real seeds being sown of Utena showing interest back in Toga. Mm-hmm. like this is the first time that like she's actually giving him a chance like you know maybe he's not as bad as the nonsense on the night of the ball makes it seem i don't trust like, he it. came on a little strong came on a little strong that night maybe he's coming from a good place i don't trust it it just seems like i mean that neither ma- do i but like <laughs> <laughs> it just seems like that manipulative guy that's like um Oh, yeah, I respect women to get into their pants. You know, like, it just doesn't give... It's it's not giving, like, actual respect women, drink respect women juice. It, it's not giving that to me. <laughs> yeah, it's sex positive means you do anal, right? Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'll cut that out. <laughs> That's, like, a bit far even for, like, this show. <laughs> uh, yeah, but I just... Uh-huh. The show wants you, the viewer, to trust him, and I just don't. That's fair. We have not really seen, like, we've seen his moment of heroism, but we haven't seen a moment of trustworthiness yet. No. Okay, so what are your predictions for next episode? Oh my god. Okay, so the next episode is a jury episode, which I'm already excited about because uh, the whole one of the whole reasons why this podcast even started is because Autumn did a kick-ass presentation on jury, 
uh and how jury okay. is actually hold on go ahead. i want to i want to explain that a little bit more like i'm not just like walking around giving <laughs> powerpoint presentations <laughs> well you know but there's that trend uh yeah. where like our friend group has presentations this- yeah yeah, our friend group has this thing where we give these over-the-top anime presentations on, like, random topics on anime that we think are funny or mm-hmm. cool or whatnot. And it, it's a it's a drinking thing that we do. <laughs> yeah. For example, I'm working on one right now that's basically Sasuke Uchiha sucks. He thinks he's the main character of Naruto, and he's not, and here's why. <laughs> <laughs> and on the flip side, Autumn did an amazing one on Jury and how Jury is... Uh, well, I'm actually going to get this wrong. So, Jury, in your opinion, is the... Uh, failed protagonist. Thank you. Yeah, so, like, she is she is Cypher from The Matrix. Um, she is Oron from Final Fantasy X. She is Obi-Wan Kenobi. Like, these are the, the failed protagonists, the ones who um, have all of the skill and ability and talent, but for whatever reason... Their core flaw keeps them from fulfilling the one thing that the story needs the, the protagonist to do. Like, this is like the, the category that you see, like Mad Mardigan from Willow, uh, Rorschach from The Watchmen. Yeah. Um, actually, Ozymandias from The Watchmen also. Yeah. Like, kind of all of The Watchmen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Gary Oak from Pokemon or uh, whoever your rival is if you're talking about the game. Yeah, true. In a world without Ash, Gary Oak is the greatest trainer to ever live. Yep. Like, there is nothing about this kid that is not fantastic, except he is in the shadow of Ash. Yep. And for the same reason, Jury, and we'll get to this next episode, uh, but Jury is a failed protagonist in the same way. She has a noble goal the same way that Utena does, but she is being held back by a, a fear. I'll, I'll put it that way. Um, okay. Well, I'm excited, as per usual, with every uh, new episode of this show. <laughs> but um, the interesting thing in the trailer uh, that I actually had to have you clarify for me was, because I honestly couldn't believe my eyes and ears was jury wants utena to throw away her ring that dios gave her her prince her savior gave her i don't think utena necessarily knows that it's dios but and we don't necessarily know either but i just have a hunch um she wants her to throw away her ring uh (laughs) what in the world can make her say that other than like (laughs) i don't know Maybe she just throwing away the ring means that you're not fighting. You're not, um, not necessarily that you're a part of the student council because Utena isn't, but that you're not a duelist, that you're not, I guess, competing for Dios's favor. You're not, um, part of the revolution, the end of the world, all that kind of thing. Um, We don't really know jury's motivations, like you said, for why, she's even part of the student council or how she got a ring other than if she's just part of the student council. Um, But yeah, all we really know about jury so far is that she's like a mentor or an older sister character to Mickey and has a strong relationship with him or seemingly so. And that's really about it. Right. We don't have a lot of information about her. Next episode is where we get like 98% of it. <laughs> yeah. So I don't really even have any predictions for the next episode. I'm just excited to see the relationship dynamic between Jury and Utena because those are two very strong personalities. Butting heads. Yeah, for sure. So our Twitter is at Pod. Um, and we also have a Gmail account if you would like to write in and send us questions or comments there. Absolute destiny, a podcast at gmail.com. Yes, there we go. Uh, we are also both individually on Twitter. I'm at life in neon and I'm at car cutie. K a R Q U E U E T I E. 
And both of us are on Twitch uh, at the same usernames. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> I just did a stream last night on my chaotic ass playthrough of Fire Emblem. <laughs> <laughs> Which Fire Emblem? Uh, Three Houses. Oh, okay. Yeah, which is my first experience with the Fire Emblem franchise, and um, oh. really, yeah. Uh, Fire Emblem really... is one of my favorite franchises of all time, but I have not owned a Nintendo system <gasps> in well over a decade. Oh, and my so goodness. like I have been completely shut out of playing them uh, oh, since like no. Awakening. No, and like Awakening is so good, and I had to play it on an emulator, and the emulator sucks. Um. Oh no! <laughs> I got another um, Fire Emblem game on the Switch, and I can't remember if it's Awakening or not. But I'll have to go back and look. But yeah, playing through Three Houses right now, and um, I, you know, I'm in a place emotionally where I can't handle like characters dying, like, like actually dying, and like no more, bye bye, you died on in the battlefield. So <laughs> all I know of uh three houses is just like how horny my twitter feed is for edelgard what Um. (laughs) (laughs) what that is not what i thought was gonna happen i thought you were gonna say (laughs) how horny your twitter feed is for manuela one of the teachers who's definitely like the milf character in the series I have no idea who this is. Like, I, for real, I have no idea who any of the characters in Three Houses are, except the fan art that keeps crossing my feed. Oh, I am, my God. I am cutting all of this out. But like... No, leave it in. Leave it in. <laughs> it's great. All right. Well, I am going to stop the recording. <laughs>